0: If you've ever wondered what it's like to be a PA in plastic surgery, then this episode is a must listen one. I am super excited for you to tune in today because we are diving into this really cool specialty, which is honestly more broad than I knew. But we also talked a lot about her interview process as a new grad, looking for a job in a completely different state, her training process in this amazing field, and just tips for new grads in general when it comes to landing a job, looking for a job in this crazy moment that we're living with the pandemic. So trust me, this episode, you'll definitely want to listen till the end. Welcome to the making of a Physician Assistant, a podcast created for all PA rising stars. I'm your host, Gabby DeVita, a Family Medicine PA, passionate about sharing my own experiences with hopes that someone else will benefit from what I've learned in the process of becoming a PA while navigating the ups and downs of life. Each episode you'll hear from me and our amazing guests as we share valuable tips, tools and experiences all related to a career as a PA and life in and out of the job. I'm on a mission to help you become and thrive as a physician assistant and create the work-life balance we all aspire for. So, if you're ready, join me in the making of a physician assistant. So, our guest today is Bridget, best known on the gram as Busy Beam Bridget. She has been a plastic surgery PA for four years in private practice in LA, and I loved this conversation, not only because she's such a fun person to talk with, but I loved learning about her journey to becoming the awesome, confident PA she is today. Her job not only involves surgery, but also wound care and cosmetic procedures. She has a really cool relationship, probably one of the most fun PA-SP relationships we've seen on the gram and her experience in private practice is just so interesting. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome, Bridget. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I'm not going to lie. I'm like a little nervous, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And
0: I'm sure everybody listening is so excited because everybody wants to know what it's like working in plastic surgery in LA and went on a honeymoon.
1: That's amazing also. So we went for two weeks to Greece. Um, It was absolutely lovely and amazing, especially after a year of like Well, more than a year of like no travel, right? Um, And then this past week was my first week back, so we were getting back to uh, the real world.
0: Did you have a full schedule, and it's just like you know, you never left basically?
1: Exactly. Like Monday morning, I was like, "Yep, here we go." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: I'm sure everybody listening knows you and follows you on Instagram, uh, Visibeen Bridget, right? Yep. But tell us a little bit about yourself or anybody that maybe doesn't know you.
1: Okay. Um, So my name is Bridget. I am currently a PA in plastic surgery in Los Angeles. I am originally from the suburbs of Philadelphia. So I'm an East Coast person. Um, I grew up there and then I went to undergrad at George Washington in D.C. and then went straight to PA school at Yale. Um, While I was there, I did the dual MPHPA program, and then following that, I moved out to Los Angeles with my then-boyfriend, now-husband, and I got my first job in plastic surgery, and I'm still there today.
0: That's awesome. So you've been across the country, and you are making your life there, and it just sounds amazing, and we love following you know, your content on Instagram, because I like that it's a little bit of everything, you know, not just PA related and work and educational, but also just kind of your
1: lifestyle and skincare and things like that. No, totally. Like, I think, you know, everyone has what they like, right? So like, I've got a lot of followers that are pre-PA or in PA school. And then I've got like friends and family who are like, well, wait, I want to know about Botox and skincare. And then, you know, you don't, I, I find it difficult to post a picture of myself quite literally every day. I'm like, Mm -hmm. these people, they, they know what I look like. So it's like, can we learn a little something like, so I try to like add in some content that you might learn from, but still making it fun. Uh, So I try, I try to like, you know, mix it up. And I, I like doing that because I think it keeps people engaged.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think you're doing a great job. Um, and it, it really gets people interested more, I think, in the field. Like for the the PA followers, let's say. Yeah. Um, it just looks like your job is so interesting in so many levels. Because I would say, one, your relationship with your supervisor physician. <laughs> the yes, coolest Dr. and
1: He's like a character in himself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we love following him, too. <laughs> um, and then... Your job has, like, you do procedures and then you do kind of cosmetics and all the skincare. It's just so um, kind of wide, I would say.
1: Yeah. I think actually, like, that's something about plastic surgery a lot of people don't know. So when people think of plastic surgery, they're like, oh, like breast implants and facelifts and Botox and fillers that make you look crazy. And you're like, no, that's like actually very a small piece of the pie. You know, in plastic surgery, there's a ton of wound care. So a lot of my patients are wound care patients. They're elderly. They've got diabetic foot ulcers. They have pressure ulcers. So that's like a big part of my job. And then another part of my job is the surgery aspect. So we'll do, of course, we'll do the cosmetic cases like the tummy tucks and the breast implants and lifts and all of that. But then there's the breast cancers mm-hmm. and there's tumors and there's lipomas and there's kind of more medical based um, surgery that we like and do as well. And then, yeah, there's the non-surgical stuff and the skin care. Um, but it's nice because that's why I like plastic surgery, because it can be really diverse.
0: Would you say every job in plastic surgery is kind of like yours or... Yours is more so unique.
1: probably not. Yeah, you know, good, that's a great question. And I would lean towards semi, meaning like, yeah, I'm sure there are plastic surgeons that are doing um, like the Botox, the non-cosmetic, I mean the non-surgical cosmetic stuff, such like the Botox and the fillers, as well as the surgery. I know some plastic surgeons don't do as much wound care. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be like in it, but I think because we have this wound care center, we really focus on that. Um so yeah that and like the other thing that Dr. Ronowitz always points out that I tend to forget is that plastic surgery includes the whole body whereas like you know other surgery specialties are one area of the body mm-hmm. and so plastic surgery we can operate anywhere
0: Yeah and I will say I didn't really know that plastic surgery involved wound care um say for <laughs> our patients well, where I work is a little bit different because it's kind of the underserved population and a lot of places uh-huh. won't take our patient's insurance. Like I actually, right. Friday, I was looking for an orthopedic surgeon ASAP for a patient with a bad fracture and I couldn't mm-hmm. find one because they didn't take her insurance. So I just had to send her to emergency room to try to get a consult, oh, you know. I know. So that's hard, but... With like wound care and diabetic foot ulcers and things like that, sometimes we do that in the
1: office. I didn't really know that,
0: you know, uh, plastic surgery would take care of that too. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I think a lot of exactly, even like dermatology can kind of handle some wound care stuff. But then they get to a point that they're saying like, okay, this wound is not progressing uh, or like a burn, like now the burns infected, it really needs to be debrided mm. to a deeper level. Like, we need to send you to like a wound specialist. And to be completely honest, when I did my interview, I didn't even really know that wound care was included in plastic surgery. Like I was just like, Oh, okay, like I Yep, this is Guess gonna we'll come with mom and I'm just gonna <laughs> Yeah, right. like, I'm gonna just jump feet in and we're gonna be fine. And that's I love that you just brought that point, because I wanted to ask you, how
0: did you get into this job? Is that something that you were looking forward to when you graduated
1: PA school? So honestly, I like wanted a dermatology job. I was like derm all the way. Like I would, I see myself there. But when you're a new grad, like I was applying to a lot of different specialties. So I did um, like an urgent care interview. I did internal medicine, I did an interview in orthopedics. I was also super interested in orthopedics. Um, And I could not find a derm job. I was like, no one's hiring a new grad. And then I found my current job by simply searching online. Like, there was no connections. I knew no one in LA Mm -hmm. in that sense. I just continuously did Indeed.com, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I mean people ask me all the time like how did you find your job and I'm like go online and search like that's how I, how I did it yeah and that's it did you do any like
0: cold callings you know how they say just go and drop your resume or um, contact the office yes. and yes
1: I was doing that more before I graduated so you know you're right about about to graduate and you're asking all of your friends kind of their next plans and everyone is like, "Oh, I'm applying here. I'm applying there." And so I just started sending my resume to the office managers at different offices, mm-hmm. but I was getting nowhere. And I think I was getting nowhere because I was not even in California. I was not graduated, I was not licensed, I was not in California, and these doctors are busy and they're not going to take the, like, I, I can respect that now because now I'm that person like looking at resumes occasionally. And if you're not there, like you don't. So I always tell students who are graduating, like, don't worry about the job before you graduate. First graduate, then pass, and then worry about the job. Like it's that order.
0: I I have to say I was that student trying to make sure to get a job, you know, before I graduated. And Thankfully, I did, um, but I... Yes, and sometimes it works yeah, out. But I have to say, I didn't go out of my way to apply to jobs, and I also wasn't moving like across the country and things like that. Um, yeah, I was fortunate to get a job from
1: my rotation. Okay. So that's another great way to get jobs is from your like connections you've made in school. Right. Yeah. And I always tell people,
0: you know, make sure you treat your rotations like a job interview And definitely stick to those connections and, you know, ask them if you can contact them for later on, if you really are interested in that rotation or that practice in particular.
1: Correct. Exactly. And I always say like, obviously, if you're in your rotation and it's your favorite elective at the end and they offer you a position, obviously take it, but don't spin your wheels and get disappointed or discourage yourself if you're not like if no one's biting at your resume yet, right? I don't know. I feel like a lot of new grads these days are kind of like struggling getting these jobs. You know, in a in a sense, like everyone gets a job eventually. I, I've never met a PA that's like still at home four years later being like, I can't find a job. But you know, I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the pandemic plays a role in it. I don't know if physicians don't want to train as much. I don't like, you know, maybe there's just, they don't have the manpower in offices or hospitals. Mm-hmm. I know you just kind of have to keep going yeah, and just keep applying. Something will come up. I
0: think that the pandemic definitely has made it difficult. I know some of our um, hospital organizations here in Detroit, they had actually had a hold on hiring um mm-hmm. PAs and I'm not sure of NPs also, but I think PAs and NPs for a while and they were just hiring nurses. Um and just now really? they kind of lifted that hold. But I
1: don't Interesting. know Interesting. Mm-hmm. See, that's the other thing. I don't work in a hospital, right? I'm not employed by a hospital. Dr. Ronowitz is a private practice, so he is my employer. So I think oh. there is it is difficult. I mean, like I can't really speak on a hospital system because I don't work there. So I prefer an outpatient setting, more of a private practice. I found I really like that. I have, I think as a PA personally, I have more autonomy and more independence because it's on a smaller scale. So like I have my own, Tuesdays and Thursdays we're in clinic and I have my own schedule and he has his own schedule but he's always around. So I can always ask him like, Hey, I've got this patient. You should lay eyes on him. Or like, uh, I need to prescribe this antibiotic. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And I've never worked in a hospital setting. So when people ask my opinion on like that, that's also kind of like tough to speak on. Right. So
0: when you, um, when you were interviewing for this job, Mm -hmm. um, what was the process like and how, what did you know about the position and what you were going to
1: be doing were you the first PA that he ever had yeah so I he had one PA I believe before me who was in the office but then also was doing more like visits in the hat home so it wasn't as in the clinic but he knew what a PA was mm-hmm. um When I interviewed, it was kind of a quick process, to be completely honest. I found the job online. It was through a recruiter, like posted by a recruiter. So I reached out to the recruiter and said, hey, I saw this listing. I'm interested. And then he kind of put me in touch and I did the interview. And then when I interviewed, it was really just me and Dr. Aronowitz talking, um, which was nice because... I've heard that some people don't meet the supervising physician right. before the job. Like I was like, "What?" I've heard that too. It's like, mm, "How do you how do you know that you're going to click and that you're going to have a good relationship?" Exactly. exactly. And you know, we just chatted. He knew I was a new graduate, so it wasn't like his expectations were for my for me were too high. You know, he knew he was going to have to train me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I credit to his experience, right? He's not a young doctor in a sense that he's just starting out. No way. He's been in practice for 30, 35 years now. So he knows what it takes to train someone. Yeah. So I, you know, he knew I didn't know how to suture. So I didn't even have to pretend. He knew I didn't know how to basically do anything, which is <laughs> nice. Because I didn't, right? Like we learn in school certain things, but we don't actually know what we're doing until were practicing PAs. Right. yeah. yeah. Um, so I accepted the job and I think I started like one to two weeks later. And I would say the first, I would say solidly the first two to three months, I was glued to his hip, right? Like I just went into every patient he saw, I went into every surgery he saw. I essentially was like a glorified shadow for the first three months. I mean, I was getting paid and it was like a job and he would give me tasks. I would help him write his notes, but the first three months weren't like, you know, go um, in and do all the things. Yeah, of course not. And then slowly, but surely I, he would be in surgery and a post-op would come in and he'd be like, okay, you go see the post-op. Tell me what's going on. So then I would see the patient and go present back to him. And then we kind of just slowly, he gave me more patients or I started seeing my own patients and we kind of worked from there.
0: That's awesome. That sounds actually really cool because I, you know, when I first started working or when I was first looking for jobs, I was like, oh, I want a job that, you know, I can just have a lot of autonomy and this and this and that. But now looking back, so I've been there for a year and I do like that, but I wish it had had more of a training period, like maybe like you've had, like you were, you know, for those first two to three months, you were really soaking in every, you know, every piece of information, every procedure and how he did things. And then that helps you build like a solid base.
1: A hundred percent. I think that's the other issue. I find with PAs getting jobs is like the training. I think the training is so crucial. Yeah. Especially as a new grad. And if you can find someone to train you, that doesn't matter where you're in, like what job you're in. It's, it's you're forever grateful. Mm-hmm. How how have your responsibilities
0: changed over the past four years? Were you, um, you know, are you doing a lot more things that you even thought that you were going to be doing at first?
1: Yes, in a sense. Like, I mean, Dr. Ronowitz can go away for two weeks and I can completely like, I, I'm the provider in the office. And luckily, we always, he always makes sure there's a plastic surgeon on call for me to like call in an emergency, which is great. But yeah, like I remember like the first couple, I mean, the first year, I would need to look at my schedule the day before and I would be so nervous for the next day because I'd be like, oh, like this says like, I don't know, like this says like lower leg wound. Like what if it's like really, what what a, what is it going to be? And now I'm like walking, sometimes I'm like walking into a patient's room and I'm like, like if the MA hasn't prepped me or like, I'm like, where's your wound? Like, where, like I, I can, you know, you eventually see things over and over and over again that you get to know, like you know what you're doing. Um, so I think I've just kind of grown in one my confidence.
0: For sure. And
1: two, obviously my knowledge base, but that just comes with experience. And by no means do I know it all. I mean, there are some days that I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Like, let me take a picture and show Dr. Aronowitz and go from there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that'll happen. Pretty much all you know throughout our careers, there's always going to be something yeah. that you're like. I have never seen this before. What is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Wait, how long have you been out of PA school now? Just one year. So still Just one year. Yeah. So exactly, and it's like where when I was you, I feel like you're obviously the same person, but you grow so much and you grow so fast. And you know, I always say like, put the time in, and it you'll reap the benefits. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, for sure. And how about your patients? You have a lot of do you have well, I guess you do have continuity of patients with some of them, like your wound care patients.
1: Absolutely. um,
0: Maybe some of the cosmetic stuff.
1: What what is that like
0: the relationship with the patients for you?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I have like patients that span all ages, right? Like I've got like 26 year olds coming in every three months for their Botox. And it's so great. It's almost like you see. You know, you get to know these people and you're like following up, right? Like these patients of mine, like, knew I was getting married for like a year plus. Like, (laughs) so what's the latest and greatest? So it was kind of like you're constantly like, it's fun. And then I've got like 92 year olds that come in three times a week for their dressing changes Mm -hmm. and they are just as delightful, right? Like, you're just like, so what's on the agenda for today? And they're like, lunch. And you're just like, oh my God, it's just so funny. But you know, you do, you do get, you do have relationships with these people. Like when I came back from my honeymoon, they all were like, how was it? Show me pictures. And I just find that so sweet and endearing. And you're just like, okay, this, even like when it does feel like work, and you don't want to go, you kind of are like, well, at least like these people are nice and kind. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and or they will, because it happens to me, Um, you know, yeah. family medicine too, they will want to show you pictures like, oh, look, my oh, granddaughter this or, you know. this oh
1: <laughs> Yes. And you're just like, okay, like, <laughs> it's so funny.
0: I think that makes it nice because with all of the pandemic, you know, kind of crisis and Everybody, everywhere you look is almost like bad news for, you know, the past year or so. These moments help you stay positive and happy and kind of, you know, take a little breathe and keep going and have a good day.
1: Totally. I completely, I completely agree. So
0: tell us more about your day-to-day now. Um, What's your schedule like? I was also going to say with the pandemic and how... I was talking about this in my um, Instagram the other day, and I was almost feeling like starting to feel burnout. I don't know if that's something that you'd experience in your job. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? And so from this side, it oh. looks like it's just so much fun in your
1: job. Like, is that true? No. What would you say?
0: That's a lot of nonsense. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. So my day today. Um We recently changed our schedule. We used to do surgery five days a week and clinic five days a week. And basically, whatever was thrown at us, we would do. We recently changed it so we're in the OR Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we see patients Tuesday and Thursday. And I think that has helped us tremendously in terms of burnout and doing better, giving better care. Right, so when we were doing everything every day, we were running around with our heads cut off, you know, trying to round, trying to see patients, trying to finish surgeries. I would be suturing, he would be like, it was just crazy. So we've organized the schedule a little bit and that has tremendously helped with burnout. Um, Okay, so when people say the grass is always greener, like I, I say this all the time on my Instagram, I love my job, but it is work and my boss is fabulous, but he's still my boss. True. Right? Like <laughs> I'm not going to post maybe an argument we have and you know you know like Instagram and social media is the highlight reel. Yep. And I I mean we have a great working relationship. Everyone in the office is fabulous. Um, but we have bad days. Like we have bad days. I sometimes am walking to work being like, oh my God, we're going to work again. Like we're doing this again. Like I'm going to do this until I'm 65 or 70 or whatever, God willing. And I, I think I, I do the same thing. I look at other people's stories and content and I'm like, God, they have it made, you know, like they've got the best job, but I am sure they are doing the same thing. They're just like, you know, taking the highlights and posting them. So just keep that in mind for everyone and including myself. Like we do, we have so much fun at work, but it's not like it's still work.
0: I love it. Yeah. That's a great reminder (laughs) because,
1: you know, it's just like you said,
0: we, we put some people, you know, sometimes you try to, you try to be as much real as you can and like, talk about challenges and things like that. But at the the end of the day, you don't want Instagram also to be like depressing. And all you're talking about is like, (laughs) bad news and things like that. So you post what makes you feel, you know, nice and the good things and and we just naturally fall into posting more of those things than other ones. So
1: yeah, yeah,
0: but I love I love what you said.
1: Yeah. And like, of course, like, you know, we want to, we do have fun. We do fool around. We do make jokes. I think I'm hilarious. He thinks he's funnier and we compete over that, but you know, he makes me sometimes see his patients and I don't want to, but I do. Or like, for example, like I do, I did some home visits this weekend and you know, that's my Saturday and Sunday where I'm going to people's homes to change their dressings. And it's like, I don't feel like I need to post everything and be like, oh, I'm working on Saturday. It's like, no, I, I, I just do my job. I you know, I, I don't I don't share everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just you just want to be realistic.
0: Yeah. Would you say now that you were speaking about um your relationship with him at work, um, would you say that has grown and gotten so much better and different and maybe stronger? Have like all the things that you've learned from him. Over the past few years, has he always been funny like he
1: is? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, he would say he's always been this funny. Mm -hmm. I think I bring out the better uh, humor, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I'm biased. Um, Yes, uh, I think it obviously has grown because, you know, I've grown in my own maturity. I, I started working when I was, what, 26, 26, and now I'm 30, almost 31. So obviously, you know, I've. I've grown up a little bit Um, but we've always kind of had like a mutual respect for each other. Mm -hmm. Right. I know I respect him. He's my boss. He respects me because I take care of a lot of, you know, his patients. At the end of the day, they still are his patients. Um, But, you know, I think if you have that respect, you'll be fine. And I I know that's not always super easy to find in a, in a supervising physician and like a PA aspect. I think because we work one-on-one with each other, it's helpful, right? I know that some PAs, like, have one SP, but they might have a few PAs under them, and you, you don't really get as close, right? right? It's more like, yeah, like, I mean, Dr. Ronalds went to my wedding, which was, like, so nice. Yeah. so Really kind. But, I mean, of course you keep the – we have a really good, like, working relationship. We don't – I mean, I. it's not like – we see each other on the weekends. Like it's like Friday. Sometimes I leave on Friday. I'm like, don't talk to me until Monday. Right. Like don't (laughs) call me over the weekend. Come in. I'm not coming in. Like, you know, but he respects that. He'll be like, okay, noted. Like she's kind of, she, she wants a weekend. Yeah. And same for him. Like if he goes away on the weekend, he'll say, Hey, I'm leaving town. Are you here? And I'll say yes. So I think his trust for me is very good i think we're honest with each other and i think it's just a good relationship that's amazing i think i think it's really good i have two
0: supervising physicians um okay. they yeah. don't go to the office as much anymore because of covid they're both like 83 yeah. 85 or so okay. um when they go you know it's nice to have them around if i have like a complicated rash or a complicated patient that has yeah. multiple comorbidities and so It's really nice to have them and be like, this is what I'm doing. Can you just at least, you know, can you give me some ideas or reassurance that, you know, I'm not missing anything and things like that. So I really like having that relationship with a supervising physician. You just like text them? Um, No, I don't. If they're (laughs) they're not in the office and we have a complicated case or something, we'll call them. Um, Okay. I don't. I don't think they do a whole lot of
1: texting (laughs) if I'm honest. (laughs) No, I think that's also something else to note. Like I find that like, One, we're like all glued to our phones, but it is nice. Like if I, he really is always available. Dr. A is truly always available. Sometimes I am like, do you sit at home and just like stare at your phone for someone to text you that there's a laceration in the emergency room? Because I don't know how you're literally always available. And he's like, it's just my job. And I was like, so it cracks me up. But okay, so you call and then do they ever come in? They come, right now they're coming
0: a little bit more frequent because they spend- their winters down in Florida and then their summers here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And then when they're here in Michigan, they go up North. So, you know, so they're not in the office really a whole lot. So you're like completely on your own for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, so that's what I was saying when I first found this job um, and I did, I actually did two rotations here and I saw the two PAs that were working there. Um, they had like full-blown autonomy. Like they see their own patients and they yeah. order and interpret and do all the things on their own. Um, and I was like, that's really cool. You know, it's family medicine. Yeah. And for the, sometimes you'll just see the PA and I, I want to do that too. But I don't think I realized that you still need like a good supervising physician there and – Kind of in the office are really really available to train you at the beginning. Yeah.
1: Um
0: I still I got my like, training good. from them from the PAs, which is it's been great. But I just for all new grads now I say like make sure your supervising decision is there. The autonomy and the um, kind of doing things on your own it'll come later as you grow. But you don't yes. want to get over yourself, you know. Like ahead 100%. of yourself. Hundred
1: percent. I give you so much credit for the role you're doing because. I don't I don't know if I could say that a year out of school I could do what you do. I mean I could in a sense, but I would to, I totally would feel more confident or comfortable with someone closer by. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah.
0: So that's why now that the pandemic's a little bit, you know, more control and more yeah. of us have the vaccines and things like that. Yes, and they're yes. in the office, then it's nice. It's like, oh I almost want to ask you about everything,
1: even if I don't need to ask it. like, okay. you. Know? <laughs> That's the other thing I realized, like, it's almost like a security blanket. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I like when he's not around and like, because then I actually have to do this uh, critical thinking that in school they always tell you to do and you're like, yeah, I'll be fine. I can always look it up. It's like, oh, I actually have to think about this. Like, (laughs) let me make the decision here you know, and it's, and it's good. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that with, with the supervising physicians and, uh, your relationship with PAs, I, and that's why I asked you at the beginning, Had he had a PA in the past, because that is also always tricky. If it's a provider that maybe doesn't know the role of PA's, and you're a new grad, yeah. then you don't want to get into a situation where maybe you're not used to your full scope of practice or you're not trained properly and things like that. And I've talked to a couple of people that have been in that situation and it's kind of messy. Um, so that's.
1: It does get messy. Yeah. The only thing I think that helps and I do sometimes to a fault is you have to speak up, mm-hmm. right? Like, I. I mean, I, you have to speak up in a professional appropriate way.
0: Yeah, so there
1: are plenty, there, there definitely have been times that I'm like, Dr. Ronitz, we got to talk. And I go into his office and I shut the door or, you know, he shuts the door and we sit down and we review, like, this is what happened. This is what I didn't like. This is probably how it should go. And he's done that to me. Like, I didn't like this. You know, you didn't prep the patient quick enough. Or, or I would say, oh, you know. You can't say that to a patient. It gives them false, like, you know, if he by accident says something to the patient that I didn't like, I would tell him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't tell him, he doesn't know, He it, it, it bothered me. And same for vice versa. Right. So I know, like, it's so cliche to say, like, open communication. But it's like, you got to talk and speak up. Yeah, yeah. And that is... Honestly, in every
0: aspect of life, like not just at work, but with your family
1: and friends,
0: everything, you got to talk because if you don't, then nobody's going to know what's bothering you.
1: Exactly. And it can be like really uncomfortable and so awkward. I mean, and of course, like when I get mad, I get like emotional, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're so mad. So I usually have to like take a breath and be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this in a very civilized way, yeah. but I just, usually it spews out of me and I'm always like, don't fire me because I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of all the things, I have, I
0: have like two things that you reminded me as we were talking is, um, cause I recently had to talk to my, my doctors about some billing and things yeah. like that do you do any of that any billing or you know what's your charting like what's that part of like the administrative you know aspect of your job yeah
1: so I write my notes and luckily I have a, a fabulous MA who helps me I have we have many medical assistants in the office and they are truly like some of the best help um but we write our notes I write my notes um and then we have a team that's for billing. And I try not to get involved. Um, if the coding is wrong, they'll come back and say, like, can we rectify this? Or, like, it says in the note, you did this, but then the code is this. That doesn't match up. Mm-hmm. So, but other than that, I, I don't – I'm not a biller. I don't I – don't, You don't get no. into any of that. I don't it. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. because huh? do, do um, Well, we have to – yeah, so – we have to mark, you know, the codes and the type yeah. of visit and then the diagnosis, yeah, procedures, stuff like that. Um, But, but I, yeah. I do have to be pretty aware of that because let's say I have a patient that comes into a, maybe they're here just for refills, but then I look at their chart and then I notice they haven't had their wellness visit in over a year. Okay. So then, you know, we'd want to get that either done that day or scheduled. And that's, Good Not clinic. just you know for the good of the patient, but also because it is a, a private clinic. Um, there's that revenue part of it that kind of sucks, and I hate to talk about it, but it is part of <laughs> medicine okay. too.
1: Totally, and usually, so I do an we do an annual review. Um, so all of that is discussed every year. Um. Occasionally, like I know he does quarterly reviews for some providers and then I usually just stick to annual because I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm the, so I'm the only PA that's in surgery with him. He's got podiatrists who do also wound care for lower legs. So they're kind of a little bit different than me. Um, but that, so every year I usually, we usually like talk about all of the money and that stuff. Okay, But we keep it pretty brief.
0: Yeah, and that's that's good. I wish yeah. I didn't have to deal with any of this because, you know, it's it's a pain, and then sometimes the insurance. It
1: is added a pain. the insurance is, and then like you're trying to do something, and then they're telling you and the insurance doesn't cover it, and then you're mm-hmm. like, well, what am I supposed to do? It's half a bat. It's a battle. It's always a battle. Yeah. Do you have a
0: lot for the kind of, you know, uh, procedures you do in surgery? Is there a lot of uh, patients that pay out of pocket then for these things? And maybe you don't have to deal with so much of
1: that. Exactly. So a lot of the the cosmetic plastic surgery stuff is usually cash. Um, If it is covered by insurance, that's dealt with someone in the office um, who gets that pre-authorized and all of that stuff. So it's nice. It's nice. And it's nice that I can, or really Dr. Arana's can just do the medical part. Yeah. And then someone else in his office does all of the billing.
0: Cool, cool. All right. And then I'm going to switch topics here, but I really wanted to what? ask you this because you went to PA school at Yale University. Yep. And we all know that's a top mm, three, I want to say, PA school or just university. I remember that yeah. when I was applying to PA school, I was we were here in Detroit. But I seriously okay. consider, I told my husband like, Yale University you know like should I just be shooting for the stars and the moon and like try to go to PA school there um because then that's also gonna add or at least in my pre-PA mind um having your undergraduate or your PA program from a university like that would also help you maybe get better jobs and I'm sure a lot of people have asked you that question what's your answer what do you think about that?
1: So, a school is a school. Um, I think, yes, I did go to Yale knowing that I could probably go anywhere in the country and say I went to Yale and they would know where that school is. They would be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that one. Um, the, the faculty at Yale were amazing. I think what when you look at schools, something you really want to look at regardless of the name, is kind of what hospitals you're going to be working or like doing your rotations in, Mm -hmm. right? So there's plenty of schools in New York City that have, that you might not know as well, but the hospitals that you'll do it are top tier hospitals, your rotations. And someone asked me yesterday, I actually took a call with someone, a a PA student who was graduating in a couple months. And she said, um, do you think, oh, when you get a resume, what is the first thing you look at? And I had to be Very honest. I said, I yeah. look at where they, went. I, yeah, I was like, that's a great question. And I say, I look at where they went to school. And I, I want to know, not because like, oh, Yale. I want to know, okay, you're doing your rotations at Yale New Haven Hospital. And I know that that hospital is a big hospital center with good teaching. And, you know, obviously if you're doing your, rotations in rural areas, that's fine. And you're getting so much experience, mm-hmm. but you know, you might not see the bigger cases that you would see at a city hospital. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. The experiences are totally different. Um, here's the thing about Yale. It was also very expensive. So I also had right. a lot of students. <laughs> so, you know, someone also messaged me and they're like, Hey, I got accepted to Yale, but I need to turn it down because I can't afford it. What are your thoughts on that? And I said, you've got to do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're going to have infinite opportunities from Yale, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have great opportunities from somewhere else. Right. Yeah,
0: and I think that, you know, after going out through PA school and, you know, having my job and everything, I would totally agree with what you said on where you're doing your rotations. Because maybe, yeah. like, my my university will – in Michigan there's when I started PA school I think there were maybe like 5 or 7 programs now there's more like 10 plus. Yeah. Um but Detroit Mercy is not like you know one of the top 50 even in the country but okay. I got uh I feel like I got a pretty good education and we had you know great rotations and We have huge hospital systems where we get to rotate. You may or may not, you know, go there, but um, like some of us rotated at um, Beaumont, which is the number one, you know, in the area and things like that. So that's what I would look for the most is where are your rotations going to be?
1: Exactly. And I, I have no shame in saying this. I mean, I applied to seven schools and I only got accepted to one and it happened to be Yale. So That's I That's crazy. Know. I didn't know that. that was crazy. Yes. So I think why I was getting rejected was because I was applying from right out of undergrad. And I think at that time, so I graduated college in 2013. So I started the next this so I graduated in May and then in August I started at Yale. And I think, you know, I didn't have a ton of experience, Mm -hmm. obviously, I never worked a full time job. Um, But I also was um, interested in the dual program. So that's, that was a selling point for me as a student, right? Like when, when these, you're selling yourself to these schools, Mm -hmm. literally, like by paying them. And, you know, I want to, show my good attributes. And when I said like, oh, I'm interested in doing the public health program, they're like, okay, well, this is, you know, and maybe that's why I got in. I don't know, but don't be, I mean, <laughs> I was only one out of seven. So that's crazy. <laughs> but Good for
0: you. That's amazing. So yeah, <laughs> bottom line, look for your, you know, where your rotations are going to be and don't, maybe don't focus so much on the name of the program, because the opportunities are going to come. And I think you can also look for those opportunities and, you know, kind of make them happen and put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. How about um, advice for new grads wanting to get into plastic surgery? I know you talked a lot about this in your um, Instagram, but tell us what's what are your favorite tips and
1: recommendations? So if you want to get into plastic surgery and you, I'm going to, if you can find yourself a job in plastic surgery, take it. If you can't, it's okay to start in another surgical field, maybe do um, general surgery and just get your hands in the OR. Um, I also think there's no shame if you're not, if you're finding difficult to get a plastic surgery job because you have no experience work in the emergency room for a year, Mm -hmm. meet, You'll see doctors come through. You will see the plastic surgery surgeon consulting patients. Like, go up and introduce yourself, right? Like, start putting yourself out there while you get that experience. Um, I also just get your foot in the door. Also, if you take a job and you maybe ask a surgeon to shadow, even if you're not getting paid for that. I know, like, people, time is money and valuable, Mm -hmm. but if you really want something, you're gonna have to kind of hustle for it. Um, so even if that means like, okay, I, I work in urgent care, but I've got Thursdays off. Maybe I can get my, maybe I can shadow every Thursday for two months. If, if a surgeon would allow me, and then that might open a door to something else, you know, you just have to be That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I've actually (laughs) recently, just
0: like I said, watching your stories and the kind of variety you get in your job. And then also for me thinking
1: kind of ahead,
0: what other areas I would like to work in. I'm like, Mm plastic surgery sounds really cool. How do I even make a switch eventually from, you know, family medicine into that? But I think what you said, it's kind of where I was going, like, maybe, you know, try to find a job there. But if not, something Just apply.
1: Yeah. And if you get an interview, then go into that interview and take some points that you've learned in your current job and sell yourself, right? Like maybe you know how to lance abscesses, right? Like, you know, cellulitis. We see that in the, in our clinic. And sometimes I don't know what are the best antibiotics, but you might, Mm -hmm. right? So like, even if you're going to make that move laterally to another specialty, you need to think about what you know really well and how it can help this new specialty.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point.
1: Do yes. you think I mean, you know things?
0: Do you think now that you're talking about or we're talking about this changing specialties, would you ever switch to a different specialty?
1: I always think about this. I'm always like what what, what else could I like what would I like to do? Yeah. Um I mean, not I really. I haven't thought of. I really don't know. <laughs> You're I happy where you rather, are. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy. Also, that I did plastics and not derm. I love dermatology, but I think I, I don't think I would be as happy in dermatology than I am in plastic surgery. Which is so funny because the whole my whole PA school, I was like, oh, I want to be in dermatology, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, oh, I wouldn't. I don't want to do that at all. Yeah. I mean, it so, seems
0: like you get a little bit of it in your job with a bunch of other things, and it's just a great flow
1: exactly exactly so i don't know people ask me that and they're like oh what's your next move and i was like i actually haven't decided and i don't know cool which i guess yeah is okay. and that's
0: fine too because when yeah. when you're happy like why you know if, if it ain't broken why fix it you know yeah. so why would you look for something else if you're living your best life right now <laughs> yeah, i try yeah that's awesome well, Bridget, I have to say thank you so much. I love this chat, even though we had a bunch of little technical issues. But... Really?
1: I know. I hope this all sounds okay because I'm happy this worked out. Yeah,
0: this is such an amazing, um, you know, time to talk about specialties and being a PA because even in mm-hmm. the midst of the pandemic and all the craziness and burnout and things like that people still want to be PAs and there are still Absolutely. jobs out there and you know pre-PAs still need to hear what it's like to work exactly. and have fun at work so I think you're doing a great job of showing us that
1: <laughs> thank you and thank you for having me this was so fun thank you so much we will stay in touch
0: all right, you guys, that is it for this week's episode of The Making of a Physician Assistant. I hope you learned a thing or two today. And if you did and enjoyed listening, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. I would love to hear your thoughts or any ideas for future topics. I'm your host, Gabby De Vita. You can find me on Instagram at itsgabbydepa. In the meantime, thank you for listening. We will talk again next week.